This week on the show, we are delighted to be joined by none other than Bill Kramer, CEO of Wonderful Machine. Now, this is a very long episode, so we've cut the waffle and all the preamble, and we're going to jump straight into it. We cover costing your work, licensing, and negotiation. So I think there's something for everyone in this one. Sit back and enjoy. Today on the show, we are incredibly uh, honoured and excited to be joined by Mr. Bill Kramer, coming to us all the way from uh, West Philadelphia. Uh, Bill was a commercial photographer for 20 years before deciding to start a um, a little business called Wonderful Machine, which if you haven't heard about it, you will want to hear about it. If you're a photographer, it's uh, an amazing resource. They do some amazing work. Um, I've been a big fan of them for a long time and um, definitely something that should be on your radar. Now, he's he's been working on that for the last 15 years. So this is a man with a lot of experience in the industry. Um, I think this episode is going to be a real kind of informative one, so um, make sure you're taking notes. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, great to, great to be here, Greg. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for having me. Now, obviously, you you're welcome? on a different time zone, aren't you? So, I'm, you know, is, are you just waking up? Yeah, it's bright and early. Well, I'm, I'm usually up at about 5 a.m. with uh, my dog, Tilly. Uh, okay. So, so, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wide awake and fed and showered, so, so I think I'm ready to go here. Well, me and Tom are normally uh, awake at 5 a.m., but mainly because of screaming babies. And, um, so, yeah, we, we, we feel you on that one. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of background to start with, Bill. I mean, um, you've obviously been, when you started photography, it was, a, it, was a, it was a different time, a different, you know, a very different industry in some ways. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into photography and kind of growing up with it. Yeah, so um, so I, so I, I grew up partly in Cal- California in Palo Alto, which is uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, and um, and I had a a photography teacher in grade school. Uh, we had a little dark room, and um, and Mrs. Alexo had all these uh, old cameras that she loaned out to the students, and she had a bulk film loader uh, with Tri-X. I don't know if you guys remember Tri-X. Mm-hmm. But she had these hundred foot spools of tracks and she would sort of roll out, you know, 24 exposures for each of us and we'd run off and, and shoot pictures. So it was just a magical experience, uh, uh, you know, very different from digital, um, uh, you know, with the processing the film and making the prints and being in the darkroom. Um, so it was a really um, exciting time for, for a little kid to just sort of explore uh, photography that way. Um, and then, and then I just sort of started paying attention to what other photographers, you know, to what real photographers were doing, you know, looking at, um, at magazines and books and, you know, um, looking at people like, uh, Gene Smith, um, or, um, uh, or Irving Penn or, um, or Richard Avedon and just, just sort of, sort of expanding my consciousness of what was going on in the world. And did you, were there any kind of early influences on, on your photography in terms of, because those are some big names right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, I, I just was enthralled with any, any kind of pictures of people. Um, I mean, I was aware of, you know, everybody was aware of um, uh, Ansel Adams taking pictures of mountains, but, um, but I was just really interested in anything to do with uh, fashion or portraiture or photojournalism. Um so, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, just, just, just absorbing every photo book I could get my hands on, 
um, mm -hmm. and discovering, you know, all sorts of photographers doing all sorts of things. I, I remember uh, discovering Gary Winogrand and just his ability to find these crazy moments out on the street or, uh, or Diane Arbus and, and all the, um, um, you know, just the idea of like making a portrait and having a portrait be so evocative. And so something more than just sort of, um, you know, somebody sitting in front of the camera. Um, mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then, and then learning about the, the photojournalists, uh, including, uh, Ouija, who was so unique. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's just amazing to me that there can be so many unique takes on photography. Um, mm -hmm. and I think, I think Ouija is another example, not unlike Diane Arbus, where, um, you know, we all have the same cameras and we all have the same film. Um, and they all, we all have the same people in streets to photograph in. And mm -hmm. it's amazing to me. Uh, I can remember, you know, discovering that, that individual photographers could have such an individual personal take on the world. Mm. I love, I love that you name drop Ouija. My, my all time favorite photographer is Ouija. <laughs> huge, huge fan, huge fan. Murder is my business is honestly uh, one of my all time great, great books. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing you didn't start your career by following the footsteps of Ouija and chasing ambulances. <laughs> um, so, so I, um, so, 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 so I picked up the photography in California, but then when I, I moved back to to Pennsylvania uh, for for high school and college, um, and I somewhat randomly picked Penn State University to go to college, and and they they happened to have a really excellent student newspaper. And mm -hmm. so I basically sort of rekindled my interest in photography and um, and ended up um, working on this daily newspaper. It basically was my education. I sort of didn't go to any of my classes. I just worked for the student newspaper shooting sports and, you know, what little news there is in central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, and so so I was able to graduate college with, you know, essentially a legitimate um, newspaper portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, and it allowed me to get assignments right away. So I was able to start working for the Associated Press right away. Um, and so I worked in the uh, as a stringer for the AP in Philadelphia for about four years. Uh, and then I started working for the New York Times. Uh, and then I just sort of expanded uh, to local magazines and then national magazines and, and then um, and then just kept, you know, pursuing all kinds of different clients. So I started doing corporate assignments and uh, assignments for hospitals and universities and uh, and then eventually uh, did some advertising photography and mm -hmm. uh, I just enjoyed sort of continuing uh, to expand that circle of you know trying out working for different types of clients sure uh, just uh, just for the sake of the guests who aren't aren't based in the US a stringer is <laughs> oh is that is that a new term for you guys uh, for me personally I, so... well, I think I, I think I know what it is you drive up and down the highways in your cars <laughs> listening to the scanners and hoping for a, a story. Okay, so, so, there, so there are the guys who have a scanner, you know, back then. I don't know if scanners still exist, mm -hmm. um, but there, there were guys who would chase ambulances. It's true. Right. Um, I, I, I was, um, so it's a stringer means a freelance newspaper photographer or wire service photographer, basically a freelance, um, freelance news photographer. Um, right. and, and I think, I think the expression came from uh, back when, uh, when reporters used to get paid by the amount of uh, inches of copy that appeared in the newspaper. And mm -hmm. so the, the editor would 
you know, run a string along the copy. And if it was five inches, you'd get paid five bucks or whatever it was. So, so they were called stringer. I mean, this is, this is, this is my recollection. I didn't look this up for the program here, <laughs> no, um, but, that's... but, uh, but stringer stringer is a freelancer who's working for newspapers and wire services. Right. Okay, cool. Cool. So Excellent. That's an interesting start. So you kind of came from this documentary background, but then you, you started doing more commercial work. Is that right? How did um, you make that transition? So, I mean, my philosophy was I wanted to make money. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to support myself. I mean, cameras were expensive. Uh, when I graduated from college, um, um, I, I, I don't know if you guys did much news photography, but when you were in news photography, a photographer in the late 80s, um, uh, everybody would shoot news and sports and weather features and everything. And, and the one lens that you had to have was a, a 300 2.8. Um, and so, so I, when I was, I guess, 24 years old, I spent about $2,300 on a 300-2.8 and my dad thought I was crazy because I was, I was working for the Associated Press for $50 an assignment and he, he couldn't understand how I was going to pay for a $2,400 lens, uh, mm -hmm. $50 at a time. Um, but, but you, you, you know, so, so it was really clear, really fast to me that if I was going to be able to move out of my parents' house and buy expensive photo equipment that I was going to need to make money. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I just made it my business to explore all kinds of photography. And, and I knew that, that, uh, you know, there was newspaper photography, which was low paying. And then there was magazine photography, which was a little bit better paying. And then there was, uh, corporate and advertising, which was even better. So I was just interested mm -hmm. in all of it. Um, and, uh, and I did a lot of assisting along the way. So I was also exposed to, uh, to other photographers, I the, the first guy I assisted, uh, a guy named Jim Graham in, in Philadelphia, uh, I remember my first week, uh, it was my job to help him set up a, a food shoot. Um, he used to work for the National Enquirer, uh, mm -hmm. which is which is a tabloid newspaper in the United States. Um, and and they had uh, it was mostly sort of, you know, stories about alien abductions and stuff like that. But, uh, but every, in every issue and every week they would have a, a craft uh, macaroni and cheese ad on one page. And so they needed, um, you know, legitimate, like a food photo on the other page. And so they hired Jim and once a week he would do this and they would pay him a thousand dollars. And this is back in 1986 mm -hmm. um, when a thousand dollars was a lot of money. And so he would, he would, um, so I would set up, he would have a, a food stylist and a prop stylist come in and I would set up the, the table and the, and the light and the camera. Um, and Jim would walk in, snap, snap a Polaroid, look at it, uh, snap, snap a few frames, uh, and go back to his office. And I would then, you know, the, the stylist and I would put everything away and he would collect a thousand dollars. I was making $4 an hour at the time. Um, and I thought, I thought that's, that's amazing that, that a photographer could charge a thousand dollars for a picture. Mm. And so, um, so, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, I just, uh, wanted to be part of that. Mm. Fair enough. And <laughs> can't, so, blame, can't blame you. <laughs> you kind of, you started to, you obviously you assisted for a bit and then you transitioned into the commercial world. At what point in your career did you start to think about creating wonderful machine and, and why did that come about yeah so so i did um lots and lots of assignments where i would photograph people for magazines or corporations i i can remember photographing a lot of 
doctors who are part of a medical practice. And I can remember photographing attorneys who are part of law firms. And I thought, you know, why can't photographers come together uh, in a cooperative like that? Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I experimented uh, and failed uh, once uh, before we all switched to digital. Um, I got a couple of photographers together and we we shared a space and we shared an office manager and we tried to do a cooperative. But it um, it was too cumbersome with uh, trying to share the cost of film and Polaroid and processing and messengers and shipping. It was just um, it was just really onerous to keep track of all that. Um, mm-hmm. So that collapsed. Um, but but then after we all switched to digital a couple of years later, I, I experimented with it again uh, with a couple of photographers and digital allowed us to basically share much more easily than than film allowed for. And so with digital, you, you, you could basically share to a certain extent equipment. Uh, and of course, we could share our, our our studio and to a certain extent staff. Um, we had we had interns. So we would like to sort of share assistance. Um, and it worked out uh, for a while. It worked out really well. Uh, I mean, there was a point where we had <clears throat> we had one corporate client where we had six different photographers uh, working for this one corporate client. And we were billing them about one hundred thousand dollars a year. And so so that I felt like I had sort of achieved what I set out to achieve, um, you know, by bringing photographers together. But then then the that sort of sh- pivoted and, and we ended up uh, expanding to more of like a. Uh, a, a global marketing company for photographers instead of just mm-hmm. a local cooperative. Sure. So do you, do you want to give us a kind of the listeners like a kind of an overview of what wonderful machine kind of is today? Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, what we started out as a cooperative with three photographers. Now we are more of a production company with 600 photographers around the world. We've got photographers in, in 40 countries. Uh, mm-hmm. The main thing we do is provide a, a directory of photographers for clients. And so photographers pay us a monthly fee. And in exchange, we, we have this direct, this searchable database of photographers and we promote that uh, that website to 25,000 publications, agencies, and brands. Um, in addition to, uh, to that directory, uh, we also provide photographers with all sorts of what we call consulting services, uh, which means that we've got graphic designers uh, in-house who can help photographers design logos or build websites or uh, create email promotions or print promotions. Uh, we've got photo editors who can curate photos or provide creative coaching. Uh, we've got publicists who can um, write bios or write blog posts or write social media content. Uh, We've got marketing specialists who can build lists of clients Mm -hmm. um, or create marketing plans. Um, And we've got SEO experts who can help photographers with search engine optimization. Um, And of course, we've got uh, producers who can do cost estimates for photographers. Uh, And then the third part of our business is that we produce photo shoots for agencies and brands. So we work directly with with all sorts of uh, big companies. Uh, you know, sometimes sometimes clients will come to us simply looking for recommendations for photographers, and we'll just put them together. And other times they need help, uh, logistical help, putting together a photo shoot. Um, and sometimes those are small, you know, five or ten thousand dollars. And sometimes they're mm-hmm. they're they're quite large. We just uh, produced a five hundred thousand dollar shoot in New York uh, a couple months ago. Uh, and so they can be really uh, all sizes, and increasingly they involve video as well. 
And mm-hmm. so, uh, so that's, that's one area that we're, that the whole industry, frankly, is growing about probably about a third of our photographers are pretty adept at shooting video. And sure. we're finding that, that more and more projects have some sort of video component to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. And do yeah, you find, do you find that, I mean, obviously it's what you're offering is, is different from a, a traditional kind of photo agent because you're not so, so much repping them in a way where it is exclusive so photographers who are repped can still kind of use your services which is quite good yeah we also i guess in a way you are also there potentially as almost like a a a freelance agent in terms of being able to produce the shoot and act on a photographer's behalf in terms of helping with the costing right yes that's true we don't really compete with photo agents Uh, a lot of our photographers do have reps um and we you know, we don't really do anything that is going to um, get in the way of the agent mm-hmm. relationship. Um, you know, I mean, most of our job is to build awareness for the photographer and bring assignments to the photographer, which in most cases is going to benefit the agent. Um, but you're right. We do provide a la carte services. Uh, we can, um, you know, we can help a photographer with sort of anything. I mean, it's, it's our, you know, one of my objectives is to sort of um, provide photographers with whatever they need, uh, in, in terms of their business. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so some of our photographers, you know, I think, I think the current marketplace is that it's, that there are a lot more photographers who want agents than can really get agents. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, you know, so we, for a lot of our photographers, we are effectively serve as their agent. We, we have some photographers who are on the phone with our, our photo editors or our producers every week. Uh, mm-hmm. Either talking talking about sort of their the progress of their portfolio, or talking about uh, the, the the next estimate that's coming down the pike. Um, so uh, so so I, I like I like being able to be an advocate for those photographers and and help them in their in their work. I I think the one thing that's so fantastic about that is that ultimately uh, putting together estimates and costings is, is one area where photographers, uh, seem to fall down quite regularly and, and, and people are always kind of unsure about those elements, especially people who are starting out and can often kind of, you know, such an important part of the job, but it can mm-hmm. be something that they just don't enjoy or, or don't feel comfortable dealing with, which means that they sometimes just don't give it the thought that it's ne- is needed. So that's where you guys can step in. Um, but also, I mean, the the reason I first came to learn about Wonderful Machine was through the estimates that used to be put up on um, Rob Haggart's A Photo Editor blog. And I remember seeing them and just thinking, this is absolute gold to be able to see how uh, the, you know they put these costings together, put these estimates together, what kind of items you should be charging for that you might not have considered and you were so kind of open and transparent with the information that I felt it was a a really helpful resource because it just allowed you to realize um, where you should be at or what you could be aiming for Um, but also it kind of there was quite often um, a lot of blurb that went along with it that would talk through the process and Mm. you know even explaining that the clients pushed back on this element therefore but you were able to get something from this side of things, you know, explaining, understanding budgets and how they work and how some things are in different budgets to other budgets. 
it's a really amazing. So to the listeners, anyone who hasn't seen that, they're all archived, I think, on his blog. So they're, they're a really yeah, good so, place to start, aren't so, they? Yeah, so we, we, we still contribute um, to that. Rob still publishes those. Uh, if you go to a photoeditor.com, uh, you'll, you'll find 118 of those blog posts, uh, and we've written 117 of them. Uh, mo- mostly, uh, mostly by our, our executive producer, Craig Oppenheimer, uh, mm-hmm. who's, who's been with us for 11 years and, um, and he just uh, cranks out estimates for all kinds of projects, um, for, for photographers every week. And so, you know, one of the things about estimates with photographers is that, you know, photographers are not born knowing how to do a cost estimate. Um, it, um, and, uh, and, and it simply takes experience and, um, uh, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of sort of weird things about the photography business, uh, that other businesses don't experience. Um, like for example, there's a lot of, uh, price elasticity in the photography business, which means that, um, you know, if you're a plumber, um, and you, you know, if you need a plumber, plumber to install a toilet, you know, you could call five plumbers and the price is going to be uh, very similar for all those. Mm-hmm. But with photographers, you know, you you got some photographers who might want to charge $100 a day and other photographers might want to charge, you know, $10,000 a day. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's so there's so that place price elasticity sort of makes it an awkward negotiating situation for the photographer and the client. Um, And there is also combined with that uh, what you'd call market opacity, which means that nobody knows what anybody else is charging. Um, Mm -hmm. And that and that sort of contributes to the confusion for both photographers and clients, you know, if you're a client and you have a project, you can very easily call five photographers and get five different estimates. Um, and so, so as a client, you know exactly what the photography is worth. Uh, but those five different photographers don't, don't know what each other is charging because there's no, you know, it's not like, it's not like the price of gold that you can just, you know, Google it and know exactly Mm -hmm. what the price of gold is. Nobody knows. Most photographers don't really know. And so that's why, uh, that's why agents can be really valuable. And that's why, uh, Craig Oppenheimer and our producers can be really valuable because they, they see so many examples of projects. Uh, they see editorial projects, they see corporate projects, they see advertising projects. Um, and they get to, they get comfortable knowing what different projects are worth in different circumstances for different photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so, so, so a lot of it, uh, but I think I think it's really important for individual photographers to sort of take ownership of that knowledge. Like I think I think a lot of photographers are intimidated by uh, by pricing, uh, and especially when you add in the whole licensing model, which is like a whole nother uh, facet of this. Is is that unlike a plumber who's just charging for their time or charging for a, for a particular service, a photographer is partly charging for their time, but they're also partly charging for the licensing value of, of the picture. Mm-hmm. And so, so that just makes it uh, extraordinarily complicated for photographers. I think mm-hmm. that's an area where a lot of younger photographers perhaps uh, um, fall down as well is on the licensing. And increasingly we found and we've seen uh, contracts changing, you know, within the editorial world to get kind of more rights and clients sometimes not fully understanding licensing either. And I think possibly it's, been made more complicated by the kind of growth in moving image and the way that moving image has a slightly different um, model for licensing and clients not being able to fully comprehend why it would be different for stills versus 
moving image. They just kind of want a clear figure for both, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very true. Um, historically, um, video, uh, you know, when you, when you direct a, a video for a TV commercial, uh, you know, the, the fees are pretty high and, um, and no, you know, there is no licensing per se. Uh, the, the video production company is going to pay the director a fee and the, and the video production company is going to produce, create the, the video and hand it over to the client and collect a fee. And, and um, the understanding is that it's, 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 the, it's uh, the owner is now the, the client. And, uh, and historically, still photography uh, has been um, eff- effectively rights, rights managed where, where you're, you're not sort of selling the photo to the client. You are licensing use of the photo. For the client, and that's what makes the the value scalable. So that so that if you're if you're if you're um, uh, doing an, a cost estimate, uh, that's why it's really important to, to to understand how what is the intended use of the photo, mm-hmm. and to 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 have the pricing be proportionate to the usage. So that if it's if it's going to be used in in one advertisement in a local publication once, uh, that's worth less. Than if it's going to be used uh, nationally on billboards and uh, and national magazines, um, it's it's uh, the value is proportionate to the usage, which is sort of hard for photographers to understand in the first place, um, mm-hmm. and it's hard for an inexperienced photographer to articulate that uh, because some clients might not be uh, familiar with that themselves. Cause I think there are some photographers who just sort of shoot the assignment and hand it over and other photographers will, um, you know, write up licensing agreements and, and negotiate for, for usage. And so there's, there's, there has never been, I mean, I've been doing this for, you know, since the mid eighties, there's never really been, um, uh, a, um, a consensus. Uh, it's been a fight the whole way for mm-hmm. for licensing and for um uh, for charging for usage i mean it's, photographers have been complaining about this for for decades in some ways that's quite comforting isn't it tom in a way in a, <laughs> in a, in a way yeah at the same time it's kind of like you know how are we kind of 40 years in now and still not got kind of you know an easy way to negotiate this or a kind of a standard a standard set so clients know they're not kind of constantly trying to drag us down on prices or get more, you know, more usage or or things like that because it does very much feel like a um, a constant battle. You know, I get a great I get a great brief in, and then I'm suddenly like, oh, I really want to shoot this, and then they know that I want to shoot it, and then the negotiations start, and that's my it's got to be my least favorite part of the job in general. Yeah. Apart from apart from kind of striking kid and packing away, I think quoting. Uh-huh. Is definitely the the least favorite part of it. I yeah. think the other aspect of it is that the the industry has changed so much, you know, mm. um, in in the last kind of thirty years, and it continues to change. And there's now new forms of media that weren't around fifteen twenty years ago, mm. which also complicate it because you know initially online social use was you know uh, quite small, but for now, for certain clients, that's the mainstay of their advertising. So does it make sense that a billboard that gets seen by X amount of people should should be at this rate up here and then, oh, just it's just for social media, therefore it's down at this rate. And yet actually there's X amount more people are going to see it because it is mm-hmm. on social media and because they've got huge followings. Mm, yeah. uh, we've d- discussed this in the past on the podcast and, and 
discussed the, the prospect of maybe technology also providing the answer for that in the future and, and whether or not things like blockchain will have an effect on this, whether or not being able to actually, um, you know, concretely say this is how many people have been seeing it, this is where it's been used, et cetera, et cetera, will actually allow it to be slightly more controlled and managed and perhaps more of the, um, you know, benefit the creators a bit more, but um, it's hard to say. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. Um, I mean, I, I love the idea that you could be a, an independent photographer and shoot a news event or shoot a, um, you know, photograph a, a celebrity or, or make any kind of picture and put it on the internet and, and, have, it, uh, and have it be basically locked uh, and then to be able to get paid for use. Um, in, in the music industry, there's, there's, uh, there are organizations like BMI and ASCAP, uh, who basically, um, are the gatekeepers for, for songs. Um, and so when radio stations around the world want to play music that, or even restaurants, they have to pay a fee mm -hmm. and it'd be great to have some sort of system, uh, for photography, uh, in, in the same mm -hmm. way. And it's, I guess it's possible that blockchain could be part of that answer. Mm. I assume the reason we don't have anything like that is just the sheer number of photographers and there's just zero barriers to entry really other than the equipment cost you can go to you know your your PC world or your Walmart pick up a camera and boom you're you're a photographer straight away I mean how do you how do you kind of we manage do, that we in the UK we do have the um design artist copyright society DAX which kind of does something similar to what you're saying in the music industry in the sense that it gets a set amount of money every year and it divvies that up to its membership. So if you have images that are being used in the public domain, then you get a share of what's um, what's in the pot, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it's not widely, I mean, you're not going to be making much from it. You know, it's like a, might be a small editorial fee per year type thing, mm -hmm. equivalent. So it's not like you're going to ever be able to survive off of it, but it's, it's the kind of thing is there. It just it's going to be interesting to see whether or not blockchain can actually kind of enhance those and actually make it more of a global thing rather than something that's just monitored within one country. Because right. that's obviously the power of the internet is the fact that this image might not be suitable for this market, but somewhere in South America, you know, suddenly that thing becomes massive and your image gets used everywhere. So, yeah. well, I think it's, it's, how do you harness that? Yeah, it's interesting that the internet is simultaneously um, sort of a, the culprit of a lot of misuse of photographs, but it's also it also because it's so easy to just replicate. But it mm -hmm. also um, could be the solution because it's it's hard to publish something on the internet and and not have not have it be searchable because you can do a, you can do a reverse image search to find mm -hmm. uh, to find infringements. Um, and then it becomes a question of have you registered your copyright? Um, I'm not sure the the laws in Again, the UK it's different here. Yeah, or the yeah, EU, but uh, but in the United States, if you if you register you uh, in the United States, you really have to register your copyright if you expect to get any kind of have any kind of leverage uh, mm -hmm. in an in infringement situation. Uh, even though technically speaking, any photographer owns their copyright at the moment they take a picture. Uh, in order to get any kind of restitution, uh, you'll, you have to register the copyright, which is frankly, a, a, an expensive and cumbersome process. And so, so most photographers don't do it. And so most photographers have very little recourse when they, uh, when they have an infringement. Right. Mm. 
I believe at the moment the laws are being looked at here because of uh, there's various, I'm, I'm the wrong person to talk about it, so I probably won't say too much more because I'll get it all wrong. But I know that there has been uh, recent kind of changes in the way that d- digital copyright and stuff is, is being looked at. And of course, with the UK kind of having left the EU, then that's also brought about potential changes to UK law, which makes it even more fun and complicated, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for photographers who you know, having very similar issues to musicians that, you know, we're used to being able to travel freely to work. And, uh, and yeah, anyway, don't yeah, get me United, started on that. Yeah. One, one other quick <laughs> thing about copyright in the United States, they're creating uh, a, a small claims court uh, for copyright infringement, which um, I don't, I don't know exactly where we are in that process, but, um, but that, if that goes through, that will greatly streamline the ability for individual photographers to, uh, to make claims against against infringers. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. The, so, um, I mean, oh, go on. Sorry, Greg. I, oh, I was I was going to no. You go. I was just going to say. Obviously, the with the advent of the internet, we're talking about what a what a great thing, you know, blessing and a curse in, in equal measure. But your your route into the industry is now completely different. You know, would you would you have gone to college still? Uh, you know, if if you were going to start again today, would you have would you have kind of would you have gone that route, or would you have spent a couple of months learning everything on YouTube and 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 come out kind of probably maybe more technically proficient because everyone's just giving everything away? Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think I. I mean, I'm still a fan of college, uh, as even though it's very expensive. I got I've got two daughters who are juniors in college. Um, one one who just spent the uh, the fall semester at Queen Mary in London. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, college, um, is, is a mixed blessing. It's super expensive in the United States at least. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I'm glad I went. Um, but it's true. I think you can, you know, these days, you know, back, uh, you know, if you go back to like probably the sixties and seventies, uh, there, you had to be an apprentice to a photographer to become a, a commercial photographer. So there was, there was a sort of a big barrier to entry. You had to like learn a lot about technology that was very mysterious and you had to make, you know, create relationships that were hard to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, now everybody, the internet gives everybody access to you, YouTube tutorials. Um, mm-hmm. And so you really don't need, uh, you don't, you can sort of do it on your own if you want to. Um, I mean, you're still going to need uh, clients. You, you can't, you know, you, you still mm-hmm. have to, you still have to build relationships. Um, and I think that, I think that just in order to be a, um, uh, an intelligent human being. I mean, you need an education, you know, like YouTube is no, is no substitute for a university education. I don't think. No. And also there's all, there's all the other experiences that come with it, isn't it? You know, you kind of, you really kind of learn to, to find yourself and grow within your social circle and all that kind of, you know, all the social aspects of a university education. So I'm, I'm personally all for it. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not necessarily to study photography, uh, at least not here in the UK, but definitely up for, you know, suggesting a university education. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think there are a lot of photographers who didn't study photography. I think it's, in, it's interesting to see how different photographers have become successful and, and what their, or, you know, what their sort of origin was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, there are, there are the, the types of photographers who start out being sort of geeks for, for the cameras and the, the chemistry and that, all that. That was us. 
Uh, yeah, that was, that was really <laughs> weird. Um, but then there are other people like, uh, like I worked for Steven Mizell, who's a very famous fashion photographer mm-hmm. and he started, he started out as an illustrator, um, and, uh, and then just sort of picked up a camera one day. And then the next thing, you know, he's, you know, shooting for Vogue magazine. Um, and then, uh, and then likewise, I, I work with a, a photographer in Los Angeles now, uh, named Sam Gabay and he was, he studied biochemistry in, 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 uh, college. Uh, so there are a lot of people who I think I think in some ways uh, there's like an advantage to having ex- sort of real experiences that are not about photography. Um, mm-hmm. I had an interesting conversation um, with a friend of mine who has done a lot of work for National Geographic, a guy named Rob Clark, uh, who lives in New York. Um, and he was talking about about the same thing where, you know, photographers will come to Geographic um, and. Uh, and hope to get an assignment. Um, but what Rob said was, you know, wh- what they're looking for is people with ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like, it's not enough to know how to use the camera. It's not enough to know how to, how to uh, do retouching. You have to actually have something to say. Uh, and I think that's a really important element of being a, a successful photographer is, is, is having, is understanding the world um, and having an opinion about things and, uh, and being curious and, uh, and being interested in, in subjects that are not photographic and, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking about photography as a, as a means to communicate an idea uh, and not sort of a, an end in itself. Uh, and, and I think, I think, you know, back to the idea of YouTube, I think we've, we, we have a whole generation of photographers who are in a way, um, you know, talking to each other and it's a little bit incestuous and they're, you know, sometimes we see these portfolios where, you know, you see a whole portfolio of pictures and many of them are, are good pictures, but, but, but we look at them and we're like, like, who is the client for this portfolio? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the things that young photographers need to, uh, to really think about is, um, is, is, is to, is to sort of grow beyond sort of making pictures for pictures sake. Um, and think of, think about, you know, if you're trying to earn a living as a photographer, who is, who is your target client and sort of work backwards in a way from that client to your portfolio. Uh, don't expect, you know, to put together a portfolio of your favorite pictures and have clients flock to you. Um, sure. You know, you, you've got to make uh, you've got to make pictures and put them together in a way that's going to actually meet the needs of an actual client who has money to spend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's good advice. I mean, now that we're on that subject, um, generally speaking, you know, what kind of with the benefit of hindsight and and your experience in the industry, what advice do you have for young photographers? Um, you know, the industry has changed a lot. Uh, there's a lot of new things to consider and to be aware of. Uh, even in the last couple of years, you know, there's been movements that have had direct effects on the photo industry and the way that we perceive the, you know, what we shoot, what's what it's okay to shoot, what it's not okay to shoot. Um, it's a constantly evolving uh, area. But generally, you know, given your experience, what kind of things do you think are, are useful for young emerging photographers to kind of keep in mind? Yeah. Um, so I knew you were going to ask this question. So I, so I put together a couple things, uh, a couple thoughts. Um, first of all, I think the most important thing for young photographers to, is to under promise and over deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, when I started out, I, um, one of my first clients was, uh, Philadelphia magazine, uh, just a regional magazine here. Um, and, um, and, and initially they, 
they were mostly a black and white magazine. Um, but I would always take color film with me. And back when we were shooting film, um, uh, it was it was sort of um, a big leap going from black and white to color, uh, especially color transparency, because at the time, uh, if you're going to shoot color for a publication, you had to shoot transparencies and you had to basically nail the color balance and you had to nail the uh, the exposure. Um, and so uh, so I was able to I was sort of fortunate enough to be hired to like shoot an assignment in black and white, but then I would also sort of get to practice shooting it in color. And I would just deliver both to the client. Um, mm -hmm. And if the color pictures were good, they would use the color pictures. And it was a lot, it would, it, it sort of allowed me to, um, to, 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 to learn um, while I was on an, an actual assignment and sort of simultaneously sort of build a portfolio. Um, and so, so I think, I think, you know, like there are some, some photographers who feel like, okay, I'm only getting paid, you know, X dollars to do this newspaper assignment or this, this corporate, you know, sometimes photographers don't get the rate that they want and they feel like, oh, you know, I can't really justify, uh, putting a lot of energy into this assignment. And I think that's a terrible way to look at it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think every photographer, regardless how much you're getting paid for any given assignment or whether, whether you're doing it just on your own, um, it's every, every opportunity is, um, is a chance to make a portfolio picture. And, um, and so I think, I think over delivering is what every photographer should do every time. I mean, you should be shooting for your portfolio with every single assignment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the, the first thing. Um, and then, and in terms of like uh, creativity in general, I would say it's really important to to start out copying all your favorite photographers, just like musicians often do. But then, uh, but then work towards finding your own voice. I think this is the hardest thing for photographers is to to build a cohesive portfolio that that really um, is unique to them in some way. You know, by mm -hmm. virtue of the of just your sensibility, the way you see the world, the way you interact with your subjects, the, the the way you handle light or processing or whatever, but to just find your way of of putting together a portfolio is really important, um, uh, and and just becoming really technically adept. Um, I, I think that sort of is 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 where YouTube comes in handy. You know, just to learn how to do lighting and learn how to do post processing, uh, I think is really important. Um, mm -hmm. And then in terms of branding, uh, like um, putting together, putting together like a presentation for the world, you know, you've got to find a way to like take your photos and uh, and present it in a package where a client could could look at it and see that you're a professional or you're a professional quality photographer and that, and that they can trust that if they hire you, you're going to come through. So there's sure. a couple little sort of branding things like number one, like you know, um, settle on a name and use it everywhere. Like, so, so my name is really William, uh, but, but I've just been Bill, uh, mm -hmm. for my whole life. So, so everything is just Bill Kramer. Like, like sometimes I see photographers where they'll use Greg and then Gregory or Tom and Thomas, um, or different, you know, different things on their website, on their social media, on their email. I think that with, with, with as many photographers are, there are in the world, it's really important to sort of create an identity for yourself mm -hmm. as a as a business person and then just just use that consistently so that people can begin to recognize you um and then uh, and then back to my earlier comment you know creating a portfolio um where where that, that that's going to resonate with clients i think a lot of photographers sort of start out with uh with sort of they sort of start out self-indulgent with with their editing where they're sort of showing pictures that they like 
um, that may or may not be really commercially viable. So, you know, as, as artists, we, um, it's sometimes hard to tear ourselves apart from, from that favorite picture. Um, and, and this is where working with a, a photo editor can be really valuable because the photo editor is dispassionate and the photo editor will, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't have the same emotional attachment to the pictures that the photographer does so that they can sort of look at, look at your pictures dispassionately. Um, and they can, they'll, they'll be comfortable leaving out pictures that you might love. Um, and they will also, interestingly, a good photo editor will also see connections in pictures that the photographer themselves won't necessarily see. Mm -hmm. And so a good, a good photo editor is going to organize your pictures in a way that makes them much stronger as a group presentation. Um, and so, uh, so I think, I think the presentation, I mean, I've seen, I've seen photographer portfolios go from being sort of a mess to being really, um, powerful, uh, just by organizing it, you know, selecting which pictures to include and in what order and what groupings to include them in, uh, you know, a good photo editor can make a photographer look much, much stronger, uh, than they might on their own. Um, and then, um, you know, and then just, you know, there's nuts and bolts of stuff that you need. Like you need a functioning website, you needed some sort of email promotion. Um, back before COVID, photographers had print portfolios. You don't really need that anymore. Um, photographers used to have print printed promos that they would uh, send in the mail. It's, it's hard to send print promos now because everybody's working. Many people are working from home. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, but it's nice. You know, I think, I think, you know, sooner or later, the pandemic will lift and people will be back to uh, meeting more in person. So I think it's nice to have a physical leave behind, uh, you know, when you meet, when you meet somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and then of course, social media is super important now. So especially Instagram. So you just, as a photographer have to be sort of cognizant of how you're organizing all those marketing materials and do it in a cohesive and professional way uh, that, that when a client, sees you and, the, and a client might see you, they might see your email promotion and then they might see your social media feed and then they might see your, your website or they might see you in a contest. And uh, I just had a call yesterday with a, uh, a creative agency in, in Atlanta and, um, and they've, they've, they've been, uh, they've heard the, the creative director said uh, he's been paying attention to us for 10 years and we have never gotten a reply from him uh, to any mm -hmm. of our emails for the last 10 years. And so last week he decided to reply to our email. And so, so I think it's really important for, for, for photographers to understand like how to build a network um, and to just, you know, gradually and respectfully um, uh, send out, you know, let themselves be known to clients mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, sometimes you're just going to get crickets for years. Um, mm -hmm. But eventually, eventually um, a project is going to come along that matches up uh, with with you as a photographer and that client's going to call. And um, so so you just have to be sort of patient and um, uh, and and, uh, you know, keep pressing because um, I think uh, I think persistence uh, sort of wins the day uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of situations. Um Shall I, shall I, shall I no, take a breath a pretty, there? Yeah. Keep I going? Mean, I mean, well, if you've you got more, brilliant. No, this is great. This is gold for our listeners. I mean, right. I, I guess one thing I wanted to jump in on quickly would be um, if people who are listening are saying, oh, actually, yeah, the idea of getting one of the wonderful machine photo editors to 
help me with some work. How does it how does it work? How is it kind of charged or billed or how do people go about it? Because that's often a thing that photographers might get put off by or understanding how production works, for example, because producers can work differently. Some would take a, you know, just a day rate. Some will take a rate from the whole project. Mm-hmm. How, does it change? Does it, is it just a... Yeah, so um, so we do, uh, for, for estimates, um, we usually charge um, a, a minimum of $300 uh, for a non-member photographer to do an estimate. Um, and that's, that's usually for about two hours worth of, of time. Um, and, uh, and then we charge $150 an hour after that. So sometimes an, an estimate is just sort of do, do the estimate and the photographer sends it to the client. Other times a photographer might ask us to not only do the estimate, but also have conversations with the client and negotiate. Um, and so those can sometimes go on longer. Um, uh, our member photographers get a 20% discount. So for those people, instead of 300, it would be whatever, 240. Um, if, um, for, for all the branding and marketing, we usually charge on the order of $120 an hour, um, uh, or, or 20% off for member photographers. So, so for example, a web edit is something we do a lot of, um, and we usually charge about 1200 to $1,500 for a web edit. Um, we are, and, and granted that that's, that's expensive. We tried to figure out, you know, how to, you know, we've got, we've got staff members, uh, we have to pay salaries too. So, so we have to pay, we have to charge enough to get mm-hmm. quality people to, to do the work. Uh, but we certainly want to make it affordable for photographers. Um, the well, other I also thing- think we should, we should let the listeners know. I mean, it's not just you at, you've got staff across the world. You've got people in London, you've got people in the Philippines, you've got people all out in, you know, Europe. Yeah. Over. So. Yeah, so so we now have 42 people on our staff. Uh, we've got um, a number of full-time people, and then uh, a lot of part-time people and some freelancers. Um, so yeah, we do now have somebody in in Madrid and London and Toronto and Los Angeles and uh, and and Manila and and other places. So uh, as our you know as we've become more and more global over time, uh, and especially interestingly with the pandemic, you know now that we are all working on zoom anyway uh it really doesn't matter where people are so it has sort of opened up a lot of uh possibilities for us and so we so i've been gradually adding uh staff internationally and and that allows us to to connect with uh you know our uh, we've got elo garcia in madrid who is um is now you know connecting with photographers and clients in spanish um which is which is uh, really nice to be able to sort of meet people on their own terms. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so we, we, you know, I, I aspire to continue, you know, growing, uh, globally. So uh, as it currently stands, are there, is there one rate for photographer members or is there different stratas or different levels or is it? So, um, so we do have a little bit of, we do, we do what we call dynamic pricing. Um, and so, so the prices sort of vary under different circumstances. Um, but our basic, our basic price is about $200 a month for, for photographers who live in the United States, uh, to be part of our directory. Um, but, but since, um, uh, but we do discount it for international photographers, um, and we discount it pretty dramatically. So, so if you live in Canada, uh, you pay half price. Uh, if you live in um, the English, the rest of the English, well, the rest of the rich world, uh, like Western Europe and UK and Australia, you pay one quarter of the price. 
Um, and if you live in the uh, in, in a developing nation, you pay one eighth. And the reason we do that is because we want to be able to have a photographer in Rwanda um, mm. be, be able to afford to be on Wonderful Machine because that's good for our clients because our clients come to us looking for photographers all over the world. And yeah. if and and if you're if you're an American photographer in New York or Los Angeles, you're going to have a lot more opportunity to capitalize on the marketing mm -hmm. value of Wonderful Machines. So your so your your membership rate is higher, but you also have a uh, much more of an upside. There's just much more opportunity in the United States than in in many parts of the developing world. But we want to be able to provide those photographers for those clients. But, but sure. you also, I should note, I guess you have the system in place where you can you can log in that when you're traveling or where you're going to be based so that that stays up to date. And I think that's a really neat feature because yeah, so, at the yeah, moment, so, maybe less people are traveling. But I don't know if you remember many years ago, there used to be a, a program called Light Stalkers. Yes. It was like a photojournalist's kind of forum thing. And there you used to be able to update your travel plans so that some picture editor could go, oh, Greg's in Kosovo at the moment for the next two months, I've got an assignment from Washington Post. I'll get in touch with him. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's sort of a perennial problem um, with, with, for photographers to, to share where they are. Um, there, there's also a platform called Blink who uh, had a, a feature where photographers could update their present location in real time. But I, but I was, you know, as we were building our new website uh, that just launched in April, uh, you know, this, this is something I was trying to figure out, okay, how, what's the solution for this? Um, and what we ended up landing on was, was that, um, that your present location is, is valuable, but really what's even more valuable is what is your future location? Mm -hmm. And so, so we worked with our web developer to create a, a feature where uh, our photographers can log in to, uh, to, their, to, to the website. And they can they can update their travel plans into the indefinitely into the future. And so if you're if you live in Philadelphia, but next week you're going to be in London, and the week after that after that you're going to be in Beijing, you can just keep adding your travel plans into the future. And then on the client side, if a client has a particular shoot date in mind, uh, they can search by shoot date, and whatever is their shoot date, um, uh, the um, uh, the photographers will show up in the search results. Uh, based mm. on where where they will be on that shoot date. Um, is, so, is, is there a way of do you have that uh, differentiated somehow? So, say for example, I'm traveling. I'm in Edinburgh for two weeks uh, doing something, but it's a job that pro can probably be moved. And say for example, a, a client in the states is searched for me. I would probably fly to that job, regardless of where my location was, and I could probably put that on hold. Yeah. So, um, yeah, every photographer wants to be, uh, considered for every assignment. Um, sure. and so, but, but, it, but my philosophy is you, you're, you're one human being and you can only be one place at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so what we do is, is in each photographer's bio, it says where they're based. So, so a, a client can always look at the bio and regardless of where the photographer is showing up in the search results, uh, they can see where they where they are based in their bio, and they can sure. also search. They can also search for uh, for you know different dates. But the bottom line is that if a photographer, if a client um, doesn't care about the location, um, I mean at the moment about two thirds of our searches are uh, location specific, 
and about one third are just about specialty. And so, so there, there are clearly some, some projects where it doesn't matter where the photographer lives because you can get on a plane and be anywhere, you Mm -hmm. know, in, in 24 hours. So, um, so I think, I think it just depends on, on the, the sensitivities of the client. I mean, what I want to do, uh, philosophically is, is provide, um, meaningful information to our clients. I think that's, that's one of the things that we've, that we have always done that I think sets us apart from every other photographer directory, uh, is that we are curate. Every one of our photographers is curated. Like we're, you you can't just join. Mm -hmm. Um, and even if, and even if you do join, uh, we, we are going to select your specialties for you. And we're going to, we're going to make sure that you actually live in the location, uh, that you say that you're in because, um, uh, cause I think clients value that information. They want to know, uh, that they can trust, you know, the, the information and, um, and we want to, we want to provide that, uh, that, that level of curation for them. Um, but it is a dilemma. I mean, no matter how you slice it, it's a dilemma because you can't, you know, like, uh, you know, the location, um, of the photographer at any given moment, uh, is it's going to be a hard, it's going to be hard to reconcile any photographer's current location with some, some assignment that might happen. Of course, of course. I guess also you you doing it that way means that it's as reliable for the client, which means that you're not wasting their time, which means they come back, which means you get more jobs. So even if the photographer isn't available for that one because they were kind of happy with how it worked last time, they'll come back, might work for the next guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're, tr- we're trying. I mean, we're, my philosophy is if we if we provide a valuable service for the clients, that's going to be good for the photographers, even though, even though on any given assignment, uh, you know, some photographer might sort of come out ahead or behind, um, you know, what we want is in the long run for, to provide a a valuable service to photographers. And, and the only way to do that is to make it valuable for the clients. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. With regards to marketing, um, obviously, some photographers brilliant at it some photographers politely maybe not quite so brilliant um do you think there's kind of you know obviously you guys offer a huge amount of services you you you're very much experts when it comes to this are there things that you absolutely think photographers should avoid straight away because there's there's obviously you know pitfalls advantages to to doing things certain ways and kind of all sorts of, of, well, basically just other things that photographers shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, uh, I think they shouldn't be sending out 10,000 emails at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some platforms that you can, you know, have access to tens of thousands of emails and, and, and just sort of spam everybody. I think that's, that's inevitably, I think what I've seen in the last 15 years is that that has, um, made clients, um, it's just created a lot of static and noise Mm -hmm. that that makes it that much harder to get through. So I think first of all, sort of figuring out who your target audience is and, and curating your list and cultivating your network, um, and building a list from the ground up instead of starting with 50,000, um, you know, just build organically and, uh, and, and really target clients that match up with your interests and your skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think it's, I think it's worthwhile to invest in what's called a CRM, a customer relationship management software application. Yep. We use uh, a program called daylight, which is made by market circle. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, there's lots of them. Um, 
but uh, but being able to keep track of your of your prospective customers and you know be able to make notes like if you have a conversation with somebody and you find out their dog's name or their wife's name or their kid's name you know make a note of it um, and uh, so that so that you can pick up on that relationship six months or six years down the line mm-hmm. um, uh, but uh, um, you know with, you know marketing is really just about building um, awareness for your your photography business uh, it's a it's 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 about sort of budgeting your time where you're setting aside time uh, each month to gradually work on your portfolio and work on all your marketing materials and having a um, an actual uh, plan to to get that information in front of the right people so it's about mm-hmm. sort of targeting the right people and making sure that whatever you put in front of them whether you're sending them an email or you're posting to social media uh, or you're updating your website you know you just want to have it be uh, intelligent, and you want to have it be um, uh, uh, indicative of, of the of the brand that you want to build, uh, indicative of the photography that you want to do, and mm-hmm. um, and you you want to just put it in front of the right people. So it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not rocket science. I don't think there's anything um, to, so much to not do. I think it's a matter of just just sort of taking the some basic simple steps to to build a brand and to put it in front of the people that matter. Mm. I can I can give you one thing that a photographer absolutely shouldn't do. I once I once made a mistake of sending in a physical mailer without the right postage on it. <laughs> that that was good. I did, however, I did. Get and so a reply. did they have to pay for it? Did they have? To they pay had. The, they the no the no no. Not not only did they have to pay. Turns out they lived in the middle of the country. Uh-huh. They had to do a five mile drive to go and collect this thing, and uh, and then pay. And then realize it was just one of my mailers, and okay. then send me a very friendly, but quite terse email. But they will <laughs> never forget you, Tom. Just for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Quite. That is a very good point. Well, to be fair, I, I more than made up for it. I, I sent them a nice Amazon voucher, which more than covered their inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. Well, so but yeah. Still. So you, you you turn that around. I I I, I I'm always. Um, Interested to hear photographers' novel marketing ideas, though. I had a, a, a friend, a neighbor, uh, once uh, drove up to New York. Philadelphia is about a two-hour drive from New York. So mm-hmm. he and his wife drove to New York with a, a, a five-gallon uh, pot of coffee um, and, and, uh, and a whole bunch of little uh, to-go carriers. Uh, and they put a photo, a, a, a cup of coffee uh, on one side and a donut on the other side and a photo mailer in the middle and and dropped off uh you know to a bunch of art buyers uh and and they had some success with that so well you so need think, to you need to get that to the desk while the coffee's still hot right yeah it's a challenge Brilliant. but i but i think that uh, you know the thing about um the, fit, the thing about marketing for photographers is i think that sometimes photographers get it in their head that they need to do certain things like they need to do a you know an email blast or they need to do a postcard um, and ultimately, uh, you, you're, 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 if you're a creative professional, uh, part of being a creative professional is finding novel ways to get your message uh, to your to your prospective customer. So, mm-hmm. so I think it's really valuable. I mean, we had a recently had a, a food photographer. Uh, we we designed uh, a set of coasters uh, for a food and beverage photographer uh, with his logo on them. You know, like I think it's really important to find um, unusual ways. Uh, that you can stand out from the crowd 
and uh, and I think I think photographers are are often sort of feel compelled to sort of go with the uh, um, uh, with with the flow or you know mm-hmm. go with the conventional wisdom when in most cases you're probably better off sort of doing things that other people are not doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, Greg, you had a you had a point when I jumped in with. Well, that I was I was just thinking that before you came on, Bill, we discussed um, a, a number of things that we might want to talk about, and one of them was um, pricing. Uh, and I think it would be a really interesting area for some of our listeners as well. I know we touched on it briefly earlier, but um, I know you had some really interesting thoughts on it and points. And mm-hmm. so I didn't know whether or not you'd be happy to to yeah. go back. I mean, we are we are running on a bit with this podcast, but I think our listeners would love it anyway. Okay. So let's keep going. All right. So I'll um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I've got a couple of items left to t- to share. Um, so, you know, we started out talking about how no photographer is born knowing how to price photography. Um, and so so that means that as a photographer, unless you have an agent who you trust and who's knowledgeable and who can do that for you, uh, mm-hmm. every photographer needs to educate themselves on uh, getting comfortable with the idea of the licensing model. Um, you know, being able to talk about that with clients without being flustered or um, or being or being intimidated. Um, I think, I think reading, you know, the first thing you can do is sit down and read every one of those 118 pricing and negotiating articles, uh, which, which will sort of provide you with a really wide range of different types of projects and give you a sense of scale. Um, you know, uh, ultimately photographers, um, you know, there's no sort of right price to charge for a photo. Uh, every, every project that you quote on is going to be unique. And and the and the price that the photographer and the client agree on uh, is uh, is it, it's going to sort of live within sort of the the environment of, of of prices that have happened in the recent past. But still, like every every time you negotiate a project, uh, it's an opportunity to invent the price for that project. And and depending on who that client is and who the photographer is and and what the circumstances of the project are. Uh, as a photographer, you need to be able to look at all the unique uh, elements of that project and come up with a price that's appropriate uh, for that. And mm-hmm. so, like, like some, some, uh, and so you're looking for basically fair market value. Um, and the way you get to fair market value is just with experience. You're gonna over time, you're gonna bid on a lot of jobs, and some you're gonna get, and some you aren't. And every time you get an assignment or don't get an assignment, you're gonna have a little bit better idea of of what to charge and how to, how to put together the, the, um, the contract. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of clients are going to ask photographers, what's your day rate? And a lot of photographers um, are going to feel compelled to, to answer that question with a number. Um, I think, I think, you know, rule number one is, is don't give quotes over the phone. Uh, you can just say, Hey, you know what? Let me, let me, um, let me take a, let me figure out, let me take a look at your creative brief. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of variables here. Let me, let me put something together and I'll get it right over to you. So you don't mm-hmm. ever have to commit like some, some clients will say, can you just give me a ballpark idea oh. of what this is going to cost? Yeah. And, and there's no good answer to that question because you're either going to, you're, you're either, your ballpark price is either going to be too high and the client's just going to go elsewhere or it's going to be too low. And if like, once you sort of sit down and work through the estimate, if you find out you're higher, it's sort of hard to go back to the client and say, Oh yeah, I told you it was going to be this, but it's really this. Mm -hmm. And so I I think it's just bad practice to give quotes over the phone. 
Um, and it's, um, and you want to think about, um, every photo shoot has sort of a range of value. Um, and there's sort of a minimum and a maximum. Uh, the minimum is dictated by the time and effort it's going to take you to do the shoot. Um, mm -hmm. and the maximum is, is usually dictated by the usage. And so, um, so you want, you want to, you want to factor in, um, the time, the materials, uh, the expertise, um, and, and how the, the, and, and, and how the client is going to use the pictures. Um, because just like with any business, there's, uh, you know, many businesses, uh, make the mistake and many photographers make this, the mistake of thinking about the value in terms of the value to them. But, um, but really the, what, what really dictates the value is what is the value to the customer? So mm -hmm. a, a good example is if you go to McDonald's and, and you, and you can buy a hamburger for a dollar and a Coke for a dollar, it costs the McDonald's 90 cents to make the hamburger and it costs them 10 cents to make the Coke, but there's, they still charge a dollar each. And the reason they do that is because the, uh, the customer values those things at a dollar. The, the customer doesn't really care how much it costs McDonald's to, 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 to bring them the hamburger or bring them the Coke. And so photographers need to think from a client's perspective and the client's thinking about the value of that, uh, of that photograph uh, to their project. Um, and, and the more unique the skills that you have, I mean, one, one of the things you'll see with, with advertising photography, the reason, the reason advertising photography is so, uh, so lucrative and expensive is because the, the photographers who can do that are, are, are very rare. A photographer who can take a creative brief and pull together all the production elements and, 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 and create a, you know, dependably and consistently, uh, deliver a high quality photograph that, that addresses a, a creative brief like that, you know, these photographers are simply rare and they can, they can, they can command uh, astronomical rates. I mean, we have, you know, some photographers who are charging 10 to $15,000 a day for multi-day shoots um, plus, plus expenses um, because, because they're, they're very talented and they can deliver on a very specific thing. It's not going to be a random thing. Mm -hmm. Um so, um, so, and then, and then also you want to be inventive about the way you price things. So, so there are going to be some projects that are going to make sense to price by the hour. Some are going to be, uh, you might, uh, charge by the, the piece. Like for example, if you're doing still life photography, um, and a client is sending you a bunch of product, uh, it's probably not going to make sense to charge by the hour unless the client's sitting there with you. Um, and so you got it. You want to be savvy about knowing when do you want to charge by the, the piece and when do you want to charge by the hour? If the, if the client is sort of dictating your time, uh, you're going to want to factor the time into the price a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but if the client is just sending you 100 widgets to photograph and they're not there with you, you know, they're not you know, they're, they're the value in their head is per picture. And so you can you can quote it by the picture, uh, which is often going to be more lucrative than quoting it by the hour. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and frankly, a, a client doesn't want to sort of, um, risk having you take a lot of time to do something that shouldn't take a long time. So I, I think most clients are very happy to have sort of a, a fixed rate, knowing what the price is going to be, uh, upfront. Um, uh, I think breaking, breaking your estimates down as well is something that maybe some photographers don't do enough. And if they look at the ones that wonderful machine have put on, you know, uh, a photo editor that will they'll become aware of that. It's, it's worth having things that you can negotiate that might change. And if they change, that affects the cost mm -hmm. and not painting yourself into a corner 
where suddenly the brief massively changes, but you haven't got a way of actually reflecting that in the cost, which I see a lot of younger photographers make the mistake because they oversimplify the way that they're putting the estimate together. And actually, the more that you have your line items and, you know, you can show that this has value and if you don't need that anymore, you know, quite often I will put things on uh, that they might not have wanted at the time. um, And I will put the fact that that's a zero cost because it's not being currently used because it could be three meetings down the line. They suddenly decide, actually, we do want, you know, a makeup artist or we do want that prop on set. And you can show that when it wasn't an item, it didn't cost. And then when the price goes up, you know, having those things there so that people can actually see what they're paying for, I think is really useful. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think I, 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 it, it gives, you know, I think, I think what you want with any client relationship is to arrive at a win-win. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you want to you be able to deliver them uh, value uh, in exchange for their money and, and by... Uh, and, and any um, complicated, certainly any complicated advertising photo shoot is going to have many different elements of, and, and often the production is actually uh, a lot more money than the actual photographic fee. So, so working with your client to figure out um, what, what, what production elements do you really need um, and what, you know, how much value uh, is there there and, and where can you cut costs? Because every, every client wants to uh, cut costs. And, and if you, if you just have a lump sum, it's sort of ha- hard to have a conversation about where to make it more e- economical. Whereas if you list out, uh, the locations and the stylists and the transportation, uh, and the COVID compliance and, and everything, then, then you can actually, if the client says, okay, we got to cut $10,000, then you can start, you know, working with the client on, okay, well, wh- what are your priorities? What can we, what can we do with mm-hmm. that here? Um, yeah. Also, also that that also reminds me of a uh, um, that that one of the things that photographers often find that they is that they have to do revisions uh, of estimates. So, so to your point, Greg, when you know you might get a you might get a, a, a creative brief and the, and and deliver an estimate, and then a day later the the client says, okay, well this thing has changed. Uh, you know, either the production uh, has changed, or they might say, you know, instead of five pictures, we want ten pictures. Uh, or instead of two years usage, we want five years usage. And so photographers need to think about how to make their um, their estimates scalable. And so your pricing uh, needs to be proportional to what you're delivering, uh, whether that's whether that's on the production side or it's on the licensing side. Uh, you have to have a sense of uh, of sort of benchmarks for what things are worth. And then, and then if the client says, okay, well, instead of that, let's, let's do a little more or a little less, you want to have a sense of, okay, well, how does that impact the price one way or the other? Um, one other, one other thing that, that sometimes comes up for photographers, um, is, 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 is whether to ask the client, whether there's a budget for the Mm. shoot. I was literally Mm. just about to ask you this. And this is, this is really interesting to me because, you know, like if you are getting your house painted. Uh, you wouldn't, you know, you know, if, if the, if the house painter said, well, how much do you want to spend? Uh, that would be a ridiculous question, right? Because, Mm -hmm. because like, it's, you know, it's sort of a commodity house painting. Um, but with photography, it's, I think it's totally legitimate, uh, especially for advertising photography. Um, maybe not so much, uh, corporate photography where there's not a lot of production, 
But with any shoot that requires a lot of production, I think it's a totally valid question to start with, hey, do you have a budget in mind already? Mm-hmm. And, and especially if you're dealing with an ad agency, they, you know, before they ever call the photographer, they already know how much they're, they're, they're planning to spend because they've got art buyers and they've got um, cost consultants. And they've already, they've already uh, gotten their client to sign off on the creative uh, and an approximate budget. And so, so by asking uh, what the budget is up front, it allows the photographer to tailor the, the estimate to meet that budget. Um, not, and, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's not going to make you sound dumb. Like you don't know what your own photography is, is worth. Uh, I think it, uh, I think it allows uh, the photographer and the art buyer to go sort of, you know, cut to the chase in a way mm-hmm. to go directly to sort of more, more final stages of negotiations to sort of fine tune the project. Um, although there are, I think it is also equally fair for a client, um, even an ad agency to say, Hey, we don't have any particular budget in mind. Can you just work something up? And so for a photographer, anytime you're doing an estimate, um, there are, there are always going to be unknowns. You know, you want to, you want to ask as as many questions as, as, as possible, um, in advance of doing the estimate so that you can put together an estimate that's going to be as close to, addressing the, 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 that, the needs of that project as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you, but whatever you don't know, you have to make assumptions and you have to put it in the estimate. Like don't, don't leave anything out of the estimate. If you're not sure who's going to provide the, the, uh, the talent, you just have to say, uh, you just mm-hmm. have to say, okay, we're going to provide the talent or the client's going to provide the talent. You have to basically address all of the different needs and assign a, a price to it. Uh, and then let the client come back and say, oh, you know, you know what? We don't have to pay for the location because we're going to use the client's location. Sure. Um, but uh, but having um, uh, but but if you can get if you can get the client to give you a sense of the budget, that's going to get you much closer, much faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent. Right. Is there anything else on that that we've we've not touched on? Um, well, uh, just in general, you know, if you're writing, a, it's important to, to know how to write a licensing agreement. Um, mm-hmm. And there are certain there are certain components to a licensing agreement, including how long is the client going to be able to use the pictures um, in what territory, what geographic territory is it? You know, if you're in if you're in the UK, is it is it for advertising use in the UK or is it across Europe as well or global? Um, uh, and then and then what type what type of use? So, so is it, we, we divide usage up into three main buckets, uh, publicity, collateral, and advertising. And one of the things that we find is that, um, and especially to your point, your point earlier, Greg, uh, talking about, you know, how the internet has sort of expanded usage in so many ways. Um, it's it, it, gone are the days when you, you're just going to shoot a picture for an annual report and it's just going to be used for that one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, clients want to be able to use pictures for all for all kinds of purposes into the future. And so what that forces a photographer to do is, is put together licensing agreements that are pretty broad. And so, um, so, so, so publicity we define as, um, as using a picture to, uh, to send out in press kits um, for news, news organizations to use. Uh, collateral is when the client is paying for that platform. Like collateral would be for a brochure that the client is paying for their own brochure or for their own website. And then advertising 
is when somebody else is when you're paying somebody else to to place the ad like on a billboard or in a publication or mm-hmm. on or on or on somebody else's website and so by having these definitions it allows you to segment uh uh, so, for example, there might be you might be working for a corporation where they don't expect to use the pictures for advertising, and so you can say, okay, these pictures are for publicity use and collateral use, but not for advertising use. And if you want to use it for advertising use, we can either negotiate that separately down the line, uh, or or we or you can pay up front uh, for for the ability to use it in advertising. But mm. but it still comes back to the photographer sort of learning and understanding and getting comfortable with just the language of, of mm. usage. Um, another important distinction that, that a lot of photographers confuse is the difference between usage and exclusivity. So, mm. so when you talk about a licensing agreement, there's two main parts of it. One is how can the client use the pictures? And the other part is how can the photographer use the pictures? And they're, and they're two independent things. Um, because you could have a situation where the client could use the, the pictures, uh, you know, forever, um, but they might want the to use them exclusively uh, for, let's say, a year. And then after that, mm. you know, maybe the photographer can license the pictures because there are, there are going to be some assignments where you might have pictures that could have residual value uh, for stock um, or um, or like in the case of, of a magazine assignment, if you're photographing um, a celebrity or the CEO of a company, you know, maybe the magazine gets to use it, uh, uh, you know, exclusive, exclusively, uh, for the first time, uh, use and, and for a month. And then after that, you can license it to other magazines. It's just really important to, to separate those two things and, and to make it clear in your estimate or in your contract, what is the, how is the client going to be able to use the pictures and how, how can the photographer use the pictures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's something that it, it again going back to what we were talking about earlier with blockchain. It'd be interesting to see in the next ten years, you know, what changes technology brings to that, and whether or not it actually makes being able to license images easier. Because for a start, you're going to be able to monitor better, you know, when they're being used and where they're being used, but also potentially, you know, someone will come up with a system where you will be able to put in kind of what you want out of an image and it will give you a kind of rough ballpark figure. And mm-hmm. I know that there have been attempts to do that in the past, but they've not been that successful, you know, various calculators online to try and help you with costing, which generally, as you said, and for all the reasons that we've discussed is actually an incredibly tricky thing to do because the mm-hmm. value is, is not something that you can necessarily create a foolhardy formula for because it is so dependent on the client. And, and so many other factors, you know, about what you've shot, the product, the person in the shot, whatever, you know, and how relevant that remains. Mm-hmm. So I think, but it, is, it will be interesting to see whether or not, because I, I, again, I see it a lot where people don't think about the usage and they end up kind of giving stuff away and not realizing that actually there is a secondary income to be made from licensing your work and that the value, especially for editorial shoots, is not in the fee that you're going to get for shooting it. It's in having the work in your portfolio, A, so that you get the type of jobs that you want to be getting, but B, so that you can potentially, you know, re-license that work down the line. Yeah, well, uh, as somebody who who for 20 years uh, mostly was uh, doing editorial, um, I used to, you know, I would have these job folders 
um, and I would have the, the job number written across uh, the top line. And then every time I sold, sold the picture to somebody else, I would add a, a letter. So it would be, you know, like uh, 1999, one, two, three, and then 1999, one, two, three, A, and then B, and then C. And, um, and, and there were some pictures that I would sell 10 times over and, um, and, and, and often to the, to the, to the publication who hired me, uh, or to the company. Uh, and, uh, and so you're right. Like there, there were many assignments where I made more money on the residuals than on the original assignment. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so, so yes, it's, it's important to just sort of understand the value and, and to be able to have clear contracts. Uh, a lot of photographers come to us with problems and we say, you know, can you show it? Can you show me your contract? And they're like, well, I don't have a contract. Um, and so, so it's just, it's just very awkward to negotiate after the fact. And it's, it's, it's important to, uh, to sort of take the bull by the horns and, uh, it takes, it takes a lot of courage, but, but you have to sort of address these, uh, contractual issues up front. Um, one other, one other quick thing, if, if you don't mind that, that I, that I forgot to mention, um, one of the things that, one of the things that we help coach photographers on a lot is transitioning from editorial to commercial and, and one of the things um, that, that um, you know, when you're a, especially if you're a newspaper photographer, um, you are accustomed to being sort of the, the fly on the wall. But the minute you transition to advertising photography, uh, you have to be able to lead a team. Um, and in a way, you have to become the life of the party and not the fly on the wall. Um, and and it, it, it becomes really important to know how to navigate the relationships with the art buyer at the agency and with your producer, uh, you know the agency might have a producer and you might have your producer and you and you might find yourself on creative calls, mm-hmm. and uh, and so and you might have and you might find yourself creating treatments. So in addition to an estimate that you might put together for for a corporate client, uh, for an advertising client, you're going to need to put together a treatment as well, which is going to uh, be like a presentation deck, you know, like a PowerPoint presentation or a Google Sheets presentation that shows your capabilities, it shows uh, a portfolio that's specific for that, for that, to that assignment. Um, it, it indicates that you're interested in doing the assignment and you're capable of doing the assignment. And, um, you know, when you've got, uh, when you're working for an individual photo editor at a magazine, you know, you're going to have a conversation on the phone um, and they're, and you're, you know, the creative call is going to be like, hey, are you available Tuesday? And mm-hmm. yeah, I am. Uh, and you go and shoot the assignment. But when you're shooting an advertising assignment based on a creative brief and the budget could be $100,000 or $500,000, you know, you've got a lot of different people that you have to please. Um, and you have a lot of people that, uh, you know, you might find yourself on a call uh, with with half a dozen people and you have to uh, and, and even in uh, in the decision in the decision making process, uh, you know, there, there might be a series of creative calls uh, with the art buyer and the client uh, uh, talking with a number of different photographers and wa- and having the photographers sort of share their approach to the project. And so so you in order to be able to compete for those projects, not only do you have to be able to pull off the photos, but you also have to be able to uh, speak to those clients in their own language and be able to uh, demonstrate to them, uh, you know, make a pl- you have to create a plan for the shoot and you have to be able to articulate that plan. Um, and, um, and so, so I think a lot of photographers struggle with that transition. Um, but it's, uh, but we, we help a lot of photographers understand 
what's what they need to do and and we sort of help coach them through that process well, that's i mean one area on your website that's also really interesting for people to check out is your intel section which is kind of like um a blog but more so because it's kind of uh, quite specific articles to do with pricing on jobs or or situations that are actually going to be super useful for a lot of photographers um i definitely think that's something to check out but i i also wanted to to ask you know with everything that we've discussed i mean where do you see the future of um wonderful machine and what have you got kind of lined up in terms of where the company's going and things that are going to be offered have you got grand plans or so so i think we're gonna we're gonna just incrementally um grow for one thing uh we just hired a producer in los angeles um and as i say we've got other uh junior staff members in other parts of the world i just want to continue to grow globally because there are so many there's so many multinational corporations uh, that um, that need photographers all over the world, and um, and I want to be able to satisfy all all of them. Um, I, um, so I think I think the biggest our biggest opportunity to grow is to, is is doing these photo shoots for these multi, multinational corporations. I just we just picked up a, a quite a large um, client in London actually uh, recently uh, uh, an oil company that's now a, a, an energy company. Um, and, and I just want more of those. Um, we have, we've recently had a bunch of photographers ask us to be their photo agent, like in a, in a conventional way. And so we're, we're trying to figure out whether, you know, is there, uh, is there, um, is there something that we could do, uh, to, to, uh, to have a, a small group of photographers where, who, who want more of a sort of intensive relationship, you know, cause we've got the 600 photographers that we have a sort of a somewhat superficial relationship with. Um, and, and I know that, that, uh, you know, we periodically have photographers ask us, Hey, I, I would like a commission arrangement and I would like a deeper relationship. Um, and it's, it sort of is a, a whole new thing for us, but that's something we're considering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then separate from wonderful machine altogether, I, I'm actually building, uh, a website called Common History because uh, I have a personal interest in historic photography, and um, and so I want to I want to create a a place for uh, historic photos, uh, um, not only historic photos uh, that are professional professionally shot, um, but also uh, historic vernacular content like family snapshots, and so so we're probably um, six or nine months away from launching that, but we are. Um, uh, we've been sort of chipping away at that over time. And that could also be a platform for photojournalists uh, to, you know, one of the, you know, as, as a former photojournalist, I, I, I like the idea of, of, of being able to enable people to, to cover stories and, and post and post them and get paid for them. And so, uh, so this, this could also be a platform that's about um, not only historic uh, years ago, photography, but but contemporary photography of of an important of, of important events that we could then license to clients. Mm. Interesting. You sound like a very busy man. Very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think that probably is a good place to bring it to a close. I mean, it's been an absolute, um, yeah, it's been absolutely full of great uh, points of information. So. 
to the listeners, please do make sure you check out the show notes. We'll try to link to as much stuff as was mentioned um, <laughs> as possible. That's Greg's, and, that's Greg's job, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, I, yeah, I was meant to be doing it as I went, but it's just too much. Um, <laughs> and obviously, we will link to uh, Wonderful Machine, and we shall also try and link to the section of A Photo Editor where these 118 estimates are, because that's definitely some homework for the listeners. Um, is there any other resources online that you think our listeners would be interested in that they should check out? Do you guys have a presence elsewhere? Are you a avid Twitterer? Are you a Instagrammer? Are you, are you serving out photo tips on TikTok? <laughs> uh, it just blinked. Um, I must confess, I'm not really... Um, uh, uh, on social media very much myself. We do have a, a social media manager uh, who handles that. Um, I, you know, I, I think a photo editor is the best blog for for photographers who are genuinely uh, commercial and editorial photographers. I think I think the, the, the photography space is really full of, uh, of a lot of technical blogs, which are which are interesting. But um, but if you want to be a, com- a commercial uh, or editorial photographer, I think a photo editor is the best, the best place yeah. to spend your yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So it's at this time in the show where we kind of finish up and we do our desert Island photo book and camera. So if you are stranded, bear in mind there over the first season, we realized that there is in fact power on this Island and a, fo- a film processing lab. So you can basically take whatever you want. But what would be your desert island camera? Do you think? Okay, so um, uh, so again, back to fifth grade in Mrs. Alexo's uh, class. Um, uh, one of the cameras that she used to loan out uh, was an Olympus Pen half frame camera. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever heard of a half frame camera? I, yeah, yeah, but I've never seen one. Okay. I think I have one probably up there. I had is it a pen thirty five? Were they did they do half frames? Um, probably. If the, and the the pen uh, they named it the pen because it was small. And of course you got you got seventy two. You know, on a roll of thirty six, uh, you would get seventy two pictures, uh, or almost seventy two, because I think there's a you know a little bit more margin. But um, but you got mm-hmm. twice as many pictures, uh, even though they were half as small. So that that would be my 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 camera of choice. Brilliant, brilliant. And then your Desert Island photo book. What's that? Um, so do you guys know Henry Lartigue, Jacques Henry Lartigue? So yeah, yeah. Um, very, very early, early photographer came from quite a rich French family, didn't he? Like an aristocracy. aristocracy yeah. Background. So he, he came of age. That very, that very famous picture of the, of the moving car. Yeah. Well, because, because the, 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 the way the shutters, uh, you know, he had a, a camera with a, a, an old fashioned camera, of course, uh, in like 1906 with a focal plane shutter. And so as he panned to photograph the car and as the shutter moved across the film plane, it, it, it effectively distorted the wheel. So the wheel looked like it was oblong. And yeah, it- yeah I mean, he, he basically suffered from the original rolling shutter <laughs> problem, which still plagues photographers 100 years later. But uh, but uh, but but there's a book, there's there's a bunch of different books um, uh, with with Lartigue. But um, but there's one published in 1998 uh, that's simply called uh, Jacques Henry Lartigue Photographer. And um, it's just the most incredible photo book. Um, it's 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 really thick, so you can be on your desert island for a long time. 
Um, mm -hmm. and, and it also has a bunch of gatefold pictures where not, not only is the, is the book itself pretty big, it's like 13 or 14 inches square. Um, so it opens up pretty big, but then it's got a, a, several different pictures that open up as gatefolds. Um, so, oh, wow. okay. so, you know, uh, for those desert, desert Island, um, you know, long well, night. Once, well, once you've built your boat, you could rig it up as a sail potentially <laughs> to get out of there. <laughs> there have been a few people that have picked genuinely picked cameras and books in order to escape the island, which wasn't the initial concept behind it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> sound you know. so bad being stuck on a desert island. <laughs> hey, it's got all the mod cons, so it doesn't sound so yeah. bad. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great book. We will try and um, find that edition, the 1998 edition, and, and put a link up to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, thank you so much for coming on today, Bill. Thank You've you. been. Um, an amazing uh, just oracle of information. A wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you, Greg. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Really appreciate your time. Very much appreciate your time. So thank you once again for coming on. Sure thing. Thank you very much for listening to the latest episode. Uh, if you'd like to find out more or to see the show notes, please go over to exposednegative.com or you can follow us on Instagram at uh, at X negative. It's very imaginative. And if you want to email us, you can email us at info at exposednegative.com.